welcome to the Psychomedia Podcast. I am Timothy Swan. And I am Ben Fowler. And together we're going to not talk about the funny side of psychology. Instead, Tim is going to cobble together a bunch of excerpts from previous episodes. Say what now? It's a Franken <laughs> podcast and Ben is Ooh, here? I know. Crazy business. We are collaborating on this particular uh, abomination unto science. Yeah, basically what this means is we have time to do an episode, we just don't have time to prepare for an episode. And while you might think that that has happened in the past, it's not true. We might <laughs> seem like we have a cunning done. illusion created <laughs> by our extreme professionalism. <laughs> yeah, we're just so natural. Um, yeah, that's that's a thing. I certainly am. <laughs> I'm natural in some ways. <laughs> You're a natural blonde. Yeah. I just dye my hair. It's a part of many of the many ways in which I pay a lot of attention to what my hair looks like. <laughs> it's important to pay attention to what your hair looks like, Tim, specifically because yours is likely to pounce at any time. Yeah, well, I think one person, and I say one person, I think that we all know that we're talking about Dean here, whose life we still control. But before <laughs> we controlled her life, she did draw a picture of my hair that was just basically like a swirling void of tentacles. <laughs> sort of tonic horror. Amazing. I can see that. A vortex into which nothing may escape. Your head definitely Mostly has an, yeah, well exactly your d- hair definitely has an event horizon <laughs> does this mean that they're in a parallel universe there's there's your your like dark matter alter ego who constantly has like pens flying out of his hair um i guess if hawking is correct then yes yes it's the quantum theory of curly hair yeah i yeah. think so i i don't know how quantum that is but i don't, I don't know, know enough strings about are physics. pretty close to hair <laughs> yes, the real answer to string theory <laughs> is that my hair is made of super strings. <laughs> I never, never understood that. I don't see how, where the cheese comes into it. Have you seen the latest cheese string advert? It's horrifying. I don't know. Basically, like the animated cheese string drives up to like an Oscar ceremony in a car that is covered in cheese strings, just like from. Like little tendrily cheese strings. It looks like it's got parasitic worms living on it. It's hideous. Well, you've got to make cheese strings out of something. You can't trust any product that claims... Yes, you don't have to make cars out of cheese strings. (laughs) You you can't trust any product that includes in its advertising, maybe not this time around, but did in the past, 100% real cheese. (laughs) If they have to include that... (laughs) That is true. But this is the point... You never see a camembert saying 100% real cheese. I know you said camembert, but in my mind you said camembert, which is a much better animal. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway... uh, uh, Why do you think they live in Canada? If they lived anywhere warmer, they'd be all melty and sticky. That's <laughs> uh, where the best cannons are. Um, anyway, and they fire camembert out of cannons. Anyway, yeah, the, the point is, in previous cheese string adverts, cheese string adverts from my youth, back when cheese string adverts were good, um, uh, they they did have cheese string cars, but the cheese string car was like a whole cheese string, like one, like so one long cylinder with wheels that was sort of peeling apart one end, but that was sort of okay because it made it aerodynamic. And then the at the next cheese, the cheese string man would sit inside the larger cheese string car, and that was perfectly okay. Yeah, but it's if just you think that, about it both being made, being made out of a, a car being made out of a slightly bigger human. If it was I a mean, carved out giant, but that's just Transformers. That's fine. <laughs> yes, I suppose it is. Um, 
Anyway, <laughs> hey, um, I have to say, I, I, I may have been writing a TV Tropes page to shamelessly try and get listeners, because it's amazing how many click-throughs you get from having a TV Tropes page, apparently. Oh, but okay. anyway, um, yeah. Uh, We're going to make this thing go viral if it kills us. <laughs> if we use the like rabies model or something well exactly that's the thing is we're, we're we're those genetic engineers who spend years trying to create some kind of contagious virus <laughs> and eventually succeed and end up destroying ourselves first um yeah uh was uh i i realized that i do really need to add anyway to the catchphrases section anyway yes <laughs> yes you do that is true and but, accurate but that is something I've been doing this week. Uh, before we have that, we have to f- fit to our rigid structure. Um, to remove the crustaceans from our backs where they have been feeding. <laughs> by crustaceans, I mean listeners. <laughs> okay, our listeners are crabs now. They better be cute crabs. Of course they're cute crabs. They're adorable little crabs. Uh, and, and of course we all know how uh, crabs, <laughs> crabs are born, don't we, Ben? Uh, we do. They start being very tiny. <laughs> that is true. And then they grow up into having Giant. been in a suitable nesting environment into the crabs that we know and occasionally eat. This is true. Uh, and then they, if you don't eat them, oh, God forbid if you don't eat them. <laughs> then they end up on episodes of Doctor Who. Yep. Uh, with fascist attitudes. Anyway, feedback. <laughs> uh, yeah, um... You'll be pleased to know that that Sam hasn't forsaken us. Uh, I, I am pleased. Uh, and commented on our uh, most recent Sam. couple of episodes on uh, the blog psychomedia.wordpress.com uh, on episode twenty-seven, which, if you might remember, we talked about monetizing. I, <laughs> I, I know, <laughs> even though it was a bit that you did monetizing happiness. Essentially, that makes no difference. Okay, <laughs> it sounds very interesting. I, I should totally listen to it. It sounds like something I'd like. Yeah, I'm only as far as episode twenty-five, so I'm still about two. I think I'm still in about ten. Right. Maybe? Well, I'm a dedicated listener to a lot of podcasts. I like to think I'm a first-hand podcast listener. Yeah, but I think we all know that you drift off. That is absolutely true. It's all right. This is why dual-screen monitors are a bad thing. (laughs) Yeah, tiled windows in my case. Anyway, yeah, so (laughs) apparently uh, John Stuart Mill came up with the head-on to be a unit of happiness. Uh, Ah, that makes that's That's a good name. Although... it does sound like it should be a, a like a measurement of car crashes. Well, yeah, exactly. The large head-on collider and stuff like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, that's where you get people of varying happinesses and you smash them together to see if you can extract like the the subatomic unit of happiness. I was going to say the happiness juice, but then I decided <laughs> to step back from. Then you that. just need a, ha- a head-on centrifuge. <laughs> I wish I had a hedonic centrifuge. You just get like a dog and throw a ball for it, and then the final throw you throw it into the centrifuge, and then you get delicious happy juice out. Great. So now we've and killed that's the dog. How, that's how innocent smoothies are made. Well, I was... Available. <laughs> yeah, innocent... Do you not find them utterly sinister? The red ones. It's the the, the not... it's made of the blood of innocence, irregardless of colour. The yellow regardless ones are made of... of the bile of innocence. It's it's that the the excessive friendliness i, I haven't been marking some horribly dark secret i haven't trusted smoothies since one as you may remember exploded on me <laughs> um I, I i was half asleep and i had forgotten to put a smoothie in the fridge uh it may oh, have been yeah. summer term as well and so 
I started to hear this thing. It sounded like a ghost was typing on my keyboard before I knew about angry train noises from doing this. Um, I thought, what is that? But I was too half asleep being a student, not needing to be up, thinking, I'm probably just having a weird dream. And then I just heard kind of... It was a kind of squelchy bang, as it were. That's a good name for a bang. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I'm not sure what genre. My dad had a haggis semi-explode once. That's disgusting. It wasn't so much that it exploded violently. It was that it was left out on the counter uh, before dinner, uh, before being prepared. And it started oozing brown sludge out of one end. And not like delicious haggis brown sludge, but like slightly suspicious maybe this sheep's stomach wasn't properly prepared brown sludge because so uh, yeah very much the, the trouble with the smoothie exploding was that it seemed to stain the paintwork so badly that when i scrubbed it the paint came off and the smoothie remained so it's probably still there corpus that's, christi uh, new building room 43 that's the uh, uh highly adhesive properties of orphan tears but, uh, <laughs> it, i don't think it was an innocent smoothie i think it was an ms smoothie which i think are made out of different fluids um anyway last yes. word on the issue i think that it relates the the cheese string 100 percent cheese thing if you feel the need to label your smoothies as innocent yeah you and are not <laughs> when they say and no trumpets Again, suspiciously specific. I say many trumpets died to bring us this smoothie. Heralding the coming of the great old ones or something. <laughs> yeah, apparently a head-on is the amount of pleasure provided by one util. And I think we should have more units based on just shortening words. <laughs> uh, such as? Like the hum, the standardised unit of humour. <laughs> yeah, I like that one. The hum is good. But, but humour as in... Not as in funny as in being in good humour, because if you're in good humour, then you hum. Well, yes, maybe. Mm. Um, I think the la is a measure measure of laughter, yeah. Could get confused with music or fact. That is true. Uh, Yeah, anyway. I would go for inspiration, and the only thing I can think of is the pi. What's that? The the standard unit of pigeons. (laughs) I suppose a pigeon is the standard unit of pigeons. The ska standard unit of sky you see we could do this all day and it's, yes, probably and it's not in any way funny things ago right <laughs> and also yeah sam wrote in on episode 28 apparently he defended his undergraduate philosophy thesis on predicate nominalism probably should have looked that up but apparently uh he said he thinks that made it him more likely to enjoy an episode on names even if it's only nominally related om nom nominally yeah thanks sam for that terrible terrible joke also a uh, Apparently, according to administrative error, he uh, was given a uh, degree that said he'd got three outstanding psychology majors rather than political science. And because (laughs) psychomedia is the only psychology he uh, consumes, that we get some credit for that. I knew someone actually who did from Oxford keep getting the wrong degree because he (laughs) did the very rare subject P&P. And first they gave him a PPE degree and then he wrote and said oh no, I did P&P. And so they sent him a PPP degree <laughs> and they never asked for any of the certificates back. So he has three by that, degrees from Oxford. By that stage, they were really taking the P. <laughs> he uses the, in his feedback, Sam uses the phrase misbestowed. I'm not sure that's a word, but I think it should be. <laughs> yes. He also, yeah, anyway. Um, he does suggest that we could give a psychomedia tip of changing your name to match the interviewer i don't know how well you'd get away with that certainly you know you have to give a quite a lot of id details when we're uh applying that is true 
um, you know, photocopy of your passport. And that'd be annoying to fake each time. But if it gets you a job in this climate, it might be I worth think, it. I think you should move away from names and, and use visual cues. So I think you should find out who your interviewer is uh, and then print out like an A1 printout of their face. Just <laughs> hold it in front of you the entire time. Yeah. Yeah, because everyone loves stalkers as their employees. <laughs> uh, and apparently he did listen to that episode while reading A Storm of Swords. So apparently oh. we're at the same stage in the A Game of Thrones thing. Well, the Song of Ice and Fire reading Ness. I was trying to think of people who would enjoy having stalkers as their uh, employees, but the only thing I could think of was a niche reference to the Mortal Engines trilogy. Uh, so. <laughs> well, I'll laugh at that because I love that series. It's, it's an amazing series. trilogy. <laughs> It's more than a trilogy now, isn't it? There's at least six books. But the original Four trilogy. Four in the main cycle. Oh, well, I really balls that up. Fourth one is like the best one. It is. I, yeah. It's one of only... You know, I two... might not actually have finished it. Really? It's only it's one of only two books I've ever cried at. That and Animal Farm are the only books. A Darkling Plane and Animal Farm. Let's see. You've literally never read any of Jordan's biographies then. <laughs> oh, not entirely topical uh, satire. Anyway. Really the end thing. Um, so, yeah, also, um, if we need an idea for next week's episode, uh, Tom Collins, who we talked about on a previous episode, did ask one of the things he wanted us to talk about. Why is happy music happy and sad music sad? And we might listen to that, or we might, like all of listener suggestions for topics to discuss, ignore it forever. Yep, that seems equally likely either way depends whether because obviously we will in, instantly forget it after we finish recording this episode and it basically depends on whether we have any bright ideas in the meantime <laughs> yep um, i will probably independently in my mind come up with the idea of hey we should do something on music well yeah i think we know that music is interesting and we may have even promised to do it on a previous i'm pretty episode. sure we've talked about it occasionally as under other umbrellas yeah very much Ellers, so. Ellers, Cocktail umbrellas for example in uh, episode 25 about influencing various things um and finally i have some breaking feedback that came oh. in the last about half an hour um my mother said to me oh, i was just listening to a bit of uh, episode 25 and i've i've got one question really i thought oh is this going to be something deep and psychological she's like why didn't ben have a tv when he was growing up and she asked this as if it were like the most weird thing that she could not understand. And this is, you've got to bear in mind, I'm her son, right? So I think, she gets no, no, weird. That's no excuse. That's that's just readjusting the goalposts. So presumably the relatively mundane, i.e. me not having a TV, is uh, translated into like, yeah, he had a tail. Uh, uh, the reason that I had a TV uh, was that my parents um, belonged to a niche uh cult religious group who believe that watching tv uh causes you to grow antlers oh right uh, because this was her theory was like the only people i knew who didn't have a tv were christadelphians and i think it was because they didn't believe in it uh no it's <laughs> nothing to do that we just uh the t- tv has a hypnotic effect on me and my dad right uh, if there is a tv on in a room uh we find ourselves alluringly drawn to it like moths to a flame uh and whether this is because of or the reason for the absence of the TV in the house, I don't know. But uh, yeah, we. Uh, it's certainly correlated together. I don't feel like I, I really missed out all that much, I have to say. No, sure. Um, d- d- did you uh, have any feedback then, Ben? Oh, yeah. No. Uh, so this is. Um, I can't remember what episode it was on, but uh, we were discussing 
uh, we brought up the idea of the point about my South African friend uh, who used the phrase kif. Yep. Uh, and we received uh, some feedback from a ostensibly South African listener who I, I, said... I wouldn't question his South Africanness. Uh, well, my South African did. Okay. Because this listener, if I recall correctly, said that he was not aware and thought that kif wasn't a thing and that it was just the deranged ramblings of someone in my lab. I presented this position to said South African and uh, he was quite taken aback by it and says that he lives in a house with six other South Africans, all of whom use the phrase kif. And uh, that it's he also explained that it's some kind of slang term for marijuana. OK, uh, well, maybe as, it's in, just... as in a little like dope, as in that's so dope. OK, sure. That's Dark. a reference that for some reason I do, in fact, get. Um, uh, well, uh, maybe it's just Milan is a lot more straight laced than the guy in yes. the lab and his housemates. Well, uh, the question that uh, was posed by the guy in my lab was whereabouts in South Africa was this fool from who was suggesting the kiff wasn't a real thing uh i he did say that he there was somewhere where he bet he was from uh and this was said with some degree of scorn but i can't remember where that was and i okay. had no to get into okay regional hatreds in south africa okay so, he is apparently from not that i'm facebook stalking someone live from <laughs> uh gauteng in south africa which i think looked like it was near pretoria okay well We'll, Wait, uh, no, that's... Can... I don't know. It's kind of between Pretoria and Joburg, maybe. Fair enough. Well, uh, in you know, given that I work in uh, the uh, resolution and uh, investigation of intergroup conflict, I think it is important that we found the flames of this little thing. This, yeah. Uh, it's a shame you can't remember which place you scornfully uh, went for. But... Oh, I'll, I'll get back to you on it. I'll, I'll like make notes about it next time and uh, yeah. make sure to... To keep this thing going. So, yes, that's the one bit of feedback. Uh, South African civil war breaking out over the use of uh, a slang term for marijuana. Yeah, who'd have thought that would be what it was? <laughs> right. I think the next section is occasionally referred to as, what have we done this week? Ben? Woolwork. Woolwork? Well... Yeah. Super. Well done. We need we need a better acronym. <laughs> Gonna need a bigger acronym. Uh, that was very Groucho Marx. Uh, anyway, um, I've, what have I done this week? I'm reading what you've done this week. Uh, what have I done? Not a lot. I've got, I'm having a really really busy week. Uh, I've got teaching starting on Friday, which is turning out into a bit of a nightmare uh we had a lab meeting today where we were basically instruct uh, on the subject of how we should go through ethical applications where the consensus appeared to be that if it looks like it's going to be difficult don't ask right <laughs> uh it's a don't ask don't tell but that's fine wonderful excellent um, okay, so the corollary of that that you just go ahead and do it i am very excited this week because on friday i will be having a number of friends over to play the Game of Thrones board game, uh, complete with beer and shouting, um, which, uh, having read the 20 or so page rulebook for, uh, looks like it's going to be quite a mammoth undertaking, but I'm extremely excited in an excessively nerdy way about that. Do you get to play as people from the game? You play as a... Not the game, the... 
um, books. You play as so it's based on the books, not the film, the, yep. the show. Uh, you play as uh, a house. There are up to oh. up to six, and so the it's 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 along the lines of a much more advanced version of Risk. Right. But the the key to it is that the uh, each turn has a number of phases, and the phase where you make your moves of your troops and whatever, uh, you all your moves are made uh, hidden. So the way you make a move is you lay a counter on a particular place on the board, but you lay the counter face down. Right. So in that phase, everyone lays all their counters face down, and that's the point at which you're allowed to uh, make alliances and agree with people that you're going to move against others and sort of this kind of thing. And then after everyone has laid their counters, they are then turned over. So that is the point at which you can royally screw over people by right, telling okay. them that you've, got, you've done something and then having it transpire that you haven't. Yeah, uh, having just finished Storm of Swords, that seems uh, something that is very much fitting to the books. Oh yeah, no, it is, it's, like, it's like taking the parts of Risk whereby friendships are broken in a baptism of fire and taking that to sort of the nth degree. Um, but I presume it's the main houses, because did you know that in uh, the Song of Ice and Fire, there is both a house swan and a house fell? I did. I knew. I certainly knew that there was a swan. Swan is more significant than fell, That's but I just was in Storm Swords. There's Julian Swan is the Lord is Lord Swan, but they reference um, during Robert's Rebellion, he defeated three lords in a single day well, at the Battle of Summerhall, gosh. and one of them was Lord Fell. I do vaguely remember that, but I would have thought that I was stuck in my mind more. Excellent. Well, we need to find out what the uh, the coat of arms are, really. I was going to say, I, I found the swan one yeah. uh, on the um, wikia. I don't know if Fel has had one fleshed out as such. Curses. Well, we can but hope for... Uh, Although maybe it has. Uh, whatever the next book is called, I forget. Uh, House Fel. Anyway, I'll put that in the show notes. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so you play as... Uh, uh, either Stark, Lannister, Baratheon, Tyrell, uh, Greyjoy, and Martell. Yeah, which are the main houses, and you, really. And you do get uh, house-specific characters and abilities, which is very interesting, very cool. Like you have certain uh, characters and things that you can use in battles. Uh, oh, that sounds so good. It, We're going to have to play it sometime. Oh, we, we, I, I fully expect to. I'm almost considering live streaming it. <laughs> uh, but yes so that is very exciting and next week i will let you know how it goes well that is a catastrophically boring coat of arms <laughs> yeah the uh house one is a bit better really if somewhat obvious one, like, yeah 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 okay well anyway fair enough. we'll put those in the show notes um <laughs> but yeah i did think it was kind of cool that is very cool it's the advantage of having a relatively old english surname yeah uh, it gets referenced and stuff. Uh, thus far, I, my surname has been used in two uh, forms of fantasy media, Star Wars and Game of Thrones, which is pretty good as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I have to deal with Twilight and Pirates of the Caribbean <laughs> and all the stupid women named Swan I in the world. definitely win. <laughs> There's only one way to... No, I'm not going to talk about a way of redressing the balance of stupid women named Swan. I'm going to say that I watched some movies this week. Isn't that ah, weird? What did you watch this week, Tim? Was uh, it Pirates of the Caribbean and Twilight? No, thankfully not. No, I uh, watched The Avengers again. Awesome. Uh, I saw it in 3D this time. The uh, Avengers Awesome Assemble again. 
Uh, yeah, I do want that to be the Marvel's, I don't know if I've already said this, uh, title in the English version for the Avengers 2. The American title should be the Avengers 2 and the British title should be Avengers Assemble Again. <laughs> and so on and so forth. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, the, uh, the third one can be uh, Avengers Assemble Again and Again. Oh, no, no. Uh, Avengers also Assemble Again. Um, Avengers always assemble (laughs) anyway um, but yes uh, the 3D really added nothing it's still a pretty enjoyable film there are flaws in it the cracked.com article is pretty spot on Um, but uh, yeah I thought it was good I also saw The Dictator which in a shocking twist of fate because I'm not the world's biggest Sacha Baron Cohen fan or indeed really a fan of his at all I really found quite funny you know, like it's quite obvious humour but it is quite entertaining you know uh, if you that might be because you've watched too many Sacha Baron Cohen uh, films in, in a sense one might say that you've been saturated yeah I haven't but well done on the joke thank you I appreciate that uh, uh, if only we were doing this in front of an audience I wouldn't have to patronise you so often because a lot like of these jokes are are pretty good I, but i'm not sure that they are <laughs> as i've always said I, I i tell jokes to make me laugh not to make anyone else laugh yeah well isn't that such a positive thing i don't know if it's one of those things that comedians really believe you know oh i tell my jokes for me it is like no i don't well that I, would end up yeah uh, when i tell jokes good, for me, it's terrible. it would be good if it weren't the reason that i was laughing is because of the pain that i've induced <laughs> uh, yes uh, it's the sadism yes. the kind of sh- a very specific sort of schadenfreude. Mm. And yes, the third film I watched was uh, Hellboy. Excellent. Last night as part of Male Movie Night, which is a weekly tradition with my father. Have you um, seen it before? No, I haven't. Oh, I managed good. to miss it. Have you crazy, seen Hellboy I like No, I've got, oh. you can't watch them in the wrong order. Well, you really um, can. It doesn't make any difference. Whatsoever. Okay. Uh. I, I, uh, I like Guillermo del Toro. I like comic book movies. You'd think I would have watched it by now. And it, yeah, it, 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 it was good. It was very Guillermo del Toro. You, uh, know, you, wait, you wait till Hellboy 2. Hellboy, the original Hellboy is great, but man, Hellboy 2 is amazing. It is so good. It, it's, yeah, full on Guillermo del Toro and like elves and giant golden armies and it just goes like way off like fantasy tangent um and is yeah categorically awesome cool uh so yeah that is that is the things that i have done this week have you done anything else uh i don't think so i mean the lab meeting i had today was out in the sun and it's worth mentioning in case the gods of weather are listening (laughs) Which is, I guess, Thor. Back to the Avengers, Thor. isn't it? Yeah, Thor. Uh, so, um, yeah, uh, it's nice that the sun is out. It, but it's the strange thing where it's like, it's it's crappy weather and crappy weather and crappy weather. And then suddenly in the space of a day, it's like sunny. It's as if the weather's gone. Oh, damn, it's meant to be summer. Uh, uh, sorry, guys. Uh, I completely missed that on my calendar. Quick, have some sun. Yep. Which is basically what Monday was. Cold and grey to start with. I was out uh, walking uh, for work. Um uh, up on the Malvern Hills, which are very nice uh, when the sun suddenly kind of dawns over them. You're just like, ah, finally. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Sorry, I'm late. It got terribly caught up at the office. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> That's such a British thing to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> well, we need to conform to some stereotypes. Should we move to like California or something and then never have anything to talk about because it will always be sunny? No, because that sounds horrible. <laughs> What, what what if we go and make a movie or something? Uh, can we not make it in Scandinavia? Um, I don't know. We can make, like, Troll Hunter 2 or... I think they've already... Oh, wait, no, Troll... No, I'm thinking of a different one. I'm thinking of just Troll 2. Ugh. 
No. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Uh, so I suppose we could do a quick little introduction to what's coming up in the in the in the Franken podcast. Yeah, this is like a very substantial Franken podcast, really. It's going to be just like a real episode. Um, and we've got four studies in there from previous episodes. They include Taste Dialect, which I think you'll enjoy. Uh, <laughs> some it's totally delectable, non- anyway. <laughs> totally non-frivolous research about what Midlanders like to eat and the like. Um, then something on favourite colours, uh, whether it tells us anything about personality. or true colours. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> well, yes, maybe or maybe not. Sorry, just... You'll have to listen to find C- out. Cindy Lauper just wandered through my room. I don't know if you heard. Just, uh, <laughs> can't shut her up. If, if she turns up here, I'm going to request Time After Time, because that is a great song. Um, clothing Science. I can't remember what that was, because that was one of your bits. Yeah, he, it's he, a lot he, of me, really, this episode. Clothing, Sorry. Clothing Science is a very important thing to do. He doesn't get the respect that he deserves. Uh, <laughs> just let him wander around the department in the buff. It wouldn't make his ideas any less mad. No. Um, and finally, a little bit more on um, that thing we did, the name letter effect. But this time, in Soviet Russia, <laughs> the name letter effect still applies in the Cyrillic alphabet. Uh, is that uh, is Cyrillic where you uh, you rub your tongue against someone called Cyril? I don't know anyone called Cyril. I don't know anyone called Cyril. Next time I meet someone called Cyril, I'm going to lick them. I have this vague feeling, <laughs> and tell them it's because you're Russian. I have this vague sense that Love at puns. some point in my life, I've encountered a dragon called Cyril. But in like some, not, well, presumably not in actual real life, but like in some story or kid's book or something, there was a dragon I was thinking of Cyril. What's, what, was, what was the dragon called that a certain person we knew made up to convince a psychiatrist that he was mad? Oh, oh no! That was, an a. No, no, that was an him. A. That was his name. Like his, because he. The, the story he came up with this was that he was a dragon uh, from the dragon realm that was just shape shifting into a human form because he's been kicked oh, out of. It was Arcadia, though. Was it the was name, Arcadia? Wasn't it? The, the yeah, the the plane of dragons, um, <laughs> which is not like dragons don't need planes. That's, that's not. I've had it up to here with these mother flipping mother freuding dra- dragons on this mother freuding plane, which probably would have been a better film. Oh yeah. Um, uh, but yes, and uh, he he was a, a dragon who'd been kicked out of Arcadia for not participating in a dragon rebellion. Uh, but I can't remember the name of his dragon name because it was like three three names long. Oh right, yeah, just suddenly came back to me. Flashbacks. Anyway, we should probably leave the listeners to listen to these things. We're going to listen to them too, and we'll meet you on the other side. All right, guys. <sighs> Anyway, while we're thinking about language and food consumption, maybe I should uh, just close with uh, something about food dialects. Definitely. Um, now, uh, I, I'm proud of my heritage, and some would say I'm too proud. Despite the appearance of my voice, I am in fact a black country supremacist. <laughs> yeah, that former mining, then former industrial minor region south of Birmingham is where I grew up, and I'm fiercely parochial. Um, I've often lamented my inability to do the accent. So the idea that it might, along with the rest I've of the Midlands... Never, I've never lamented my in a bit, well, my in disinclination to do an Estuarine Essex accent, <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, we've had it kind of beaten out of us somehow or something. I'm not quite <laughs> sure how. We don't have our regional accents. Well, I, I am kind of sure how, but 
<laughs> I went to school in Birmingham. I don't understand it. <laughs> I should be some sort of Brummie of some sorts. But yes, apparently the um, Midlands has a unique taste dialect, and that idea really appeals oh. to me. Taylor and Tucker, from my brief birth town of Nottingham, are responsible <laughs> for this joyous news. Now, Taylor and Tucker are not a buddy cop partnership, uh, but they collaborate on food science. Uh, Andy Taylor has the brilliant job title of flavour technologist, and Greg's Greg Tucker is a food psychologist. Um, The key point is that they make is that taste, like practically everything else, is determined by the combination of genetics and upbringing. But the analogy (laughs) they use is dialect because they found some regional patterns. Um, And uh, in the case of taste dialects, that usually means enhanced sensitivity to certain types of taste sensation. And to link up this episode, uh, Taylor is an advisor to Heston Blumenthal. Um, So it's very Heston-y. Um, So yes, what did they uh, look for and what did they find? They used over 10,000 interviews about food preferences, found that the West Country is the king of favourite foods. Uh, Cheddar cheese, cream tea and David Cameron's number one, the Cornish pasty. And very good it was too. Sadly, there is no techno remix of him saying that on YouTube. Um, Yeah, a full third... Give it time, give it time. (laughs) A full third of the people across the country favoured the foods of the West Country. Now, Scottish people are apparently the slowest eaters, though that may be due to increased quantity. It's not in the study. Um, But their (laughs) favourite foods are those that have mouth-melting properties, like ice cream and Yorkshire pudding. By contrast, the Northeast go for instant gratification. Chips, cured meats, pie, ale and espresso. Uh, that's legitimately what the research says. <laughs> that's, a, that's a horrible meal. <laughs> yeah, we'll find out why espresso was there a little later. Uh, Yorkshire is very similar, but the Northwest is slightly different. Despite Wigan being the capital city of pies, they're, they're more flavour sensitive there. They're like flavourful sauces and stews. I would, I would argue that Melton Mowbray is the capital city of pies. The capital city of pork pies, but hot pies. Ah, it's got to be Wigan. True. Now, they also described the... They're actually really harsh to Wales. They described the Welsh as having <laughs> dulled, deadened and dried taste detectors due to the <laughs> atmospheric and environmental conditions in the country. What they don't what, know... They're all caked in coal or something. I, I think horrible. it's because of the side effects of fire breathing. That's my theory. <laughs> it's all the close harmony singing that they do. It wears them out. <laughs> exactly. It's wow. insane, but that is... Let's, let's, let's make more r- Welsh racial stereotypes. Huzzah! Well, the, the Welsh, you know, Bill Bailey does that bit about the Welsh not really having a national dish. <laughs> um, you know, there's the hot pot, there's the Irish stew, there's haggis, and then there's, what, cheese on toast. Yeah. But, um, oh, right, well, we better have a song then. Anyway, as for the Midlands, they argue that Balti has become the key food there because the taste dialect was actually well disposed to it. They like soft, suckable foods like nan bread and fresh, bright, semi-sweet tastes like curry. And they suggest the foods that Midlands like chocolate, spicy food, creamy desserts, and their coffee choice, cappuccino. Now, I'm not sure how much I know about parenting, but one thing I have learnt from my parents is the secret to never having to go to McDonald's again is to introduce your children to curry. (laughs) At least that's what it was in our family. We used to go swimming a lot, uh, which is something that, thanks to work, I've been doing again recently. Uh, Hence Hmm. why I'm somewhat deaf in one ear at the minute. Um, And uh, then we'd always go for McDonald's afterwards in Starbridge, which of course again key part of the black country and if you're thinking swimming it's the just the greatest place for swimming anyway um but until we <laughs> yeah i've heard that the midlands renowned for their swimming spots <laughs> being oh, yes. landlocked yes <laughs> the most distance you can possibly get from the sea in the country listen canals don't swim in the canals don't <laughs> swim in the canals um, but yeah um until we were introduced to the balti bazaar which is still there which is impressive given mo- not many things from my childhood are still there um i don't know do you have any food memories like that when you first tasted a food and suddenly it kind of changed the way you saw food 
No, but then I like my relationship with my childhood foods is usually one of limpet like adherence to what I used to do. So, I mean, I've mentioned this before with pickle, the one type of sandwich that I've eaten my entire life and will probably eat until the day that I die to the exclusion of all else being cheese and pickle, specifically cheddar cheese and Heinz Plowman's pickle. Um, the same is true of uh, orange squash. The specific brand of orange squash, which me and my dad have drunk our entire lives um, with almost every meal. Um, and to a lesser extent, my crisp choice that we talked about earlier. Like, if it's not salt and vinegar, I, I don't even know why you bother, really. <laughs> like, the, there really is no other, no other kind of crisp. Uh, but yeah, no, so no, no, like real kind of epiphany childhood food moments. Okay. Well, that's probably because you're a southerner. The south <laughs> has no patterns that can be worked out, even <laughs> with the, this huge data set. Apparently oh. it's too diverse, which is quite oh, honest nice. of them to go and write. We've got a pattern for every region in the UK. But every, only the ones that are utterly homogeneous. <laughs> except for the south. Um, uh, yes. So the reason that they have coffee taste is that this study was in fact commissioned by Costa. Costa ah. had won a vote to have been found that, that they are the coffee preferred the most by um, Britain. They were like, I wonder what we can find out about taste. Quick, let's throw a lot of money at food research. <laughs> and that's what they did. You know, they hired these proper food scientists. I mean, it's no less crazy than the Navy or a drugs company funding your research. I, don't, I mean, you get funded by like some legitimate research council, don't you? Yes. But a lot of people do get funded by companies. Mm, this is true. So, you know, you may as well be funded by an innocuous coffee company. <laughs> um, but yes, so that's why they asked. It. So each each region gets designated its own coffee um, oh, in this cool. study. But it's a yeah, very interesting, strange study. I'll, I'll, I've got pictures of the full dialects and their tongue diagrams, uh, which I will also put in the show notes. Um, Brilliant. Lots of, lots of uh, associated reading this week. Yes. And watching lots of videos too. Exactly. So yes, uh, that's, that's all I have to say. And now we'll carry on. Yes, and uh, then we'll do a conclusion at the end. Um, but yeah, <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome to the Franken Podcast. No, we don't know where this is going to end up. We, uh, but we know that it will end up in a Franken Podcast. Uh, yeah, color. Um, we are lost in the space-time continuum, and only you can save us by listening to this material. Okay, then I guess that's we what we're going for here. <laughs> <laughs> we're like Loki at the end of Thor. Um, just been hurled into a wormhole by our more virtuous brother. Why do uh, all the different Doctor Who's wear different clothes? It might be because of their personalities or something. Um, <laughs> anyway, so, uh, yeah. Scientific, huh? Um, research has been done. You'll be happy to hear funder <laughs> of research via your taxes and various donations to institutions or whatever. Um, that uh, research has been done to work out whether people's favourite colours actually have any impact on their choices of colors um and yeah this particular bit of research lind 1993 um, is this going to be another max megalon institute of slowly and painfully working out the surprisingly obvious um <laughs> i don't know if it even goes that far okay. i don't know if it's stuff that's obvious it's okay we'll see maybe you can decide at the end you can give it a vote of whether it was painfully obvious or not <laughs> um, but yeah, this bit of research comes from the Clothing and Textiles Research Journal, because apparently that's a thing that needs a journal. Journals for everyone! Hooray! And this journal is part of the rather minor area of colour psychology. 
um, which apparently has looked into people's favourite colours so much that they've managed to consider it across a range of ages and cultures. And what did they find? Well, they found some evidence that people's favourite colours, or more accurately, their preferred colours, because that's what they seem to call it throughout, might change due to context, because goodness knows nothing else does. Um, people like red cars, even if they don't like red, or uh, they like black clothes, similarly. If they don't like black, if they're orcs, well, uh, yeah, let's not go there. That's too too far into the niche. Um, anyway, <laughs> now, the reasons why you might prefer different colours has actually... I like how you went to orcs rather than, say, goths or metalheads. Yeah, that would have been a much safer zone. Yes. No, I was thinking about the, the orc zone red is cars. really a safe zone to go, <laughs> particularly when it's in a large uh, uh, ge- geographical cleft in the ground. Yeah, now that was too far. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, basically, um, yeah, the reasons why you might prefer a different colour, of course, some discussion. There was one guy called Guilford who in 1940 argued that colour preferences are biologically based due to the wavelengths of coloured, um, well, colourful light and uh, biological factors of human vision. He was arguing of the uh, position of, let's see... uh, Oh, yeah, Guilford, uh, 1934, (laughs) who said it was socially determined fashions and fads that uh, actually determined what people's preferred colours were. Uh, And he managed to succeed with his argument uh, in that... Against himself. Yep. It's a good way of guaranteeing you're onto a winner, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, later, later Guilford, the 1940 version of Guilford... um, (laughs) maybe he's a time lord well yes but that's still like time lords don't often fight themselves as far as i know apart from their i'm evil sure they must have the done fail yard okay yeah fine um and uh yeah uh, he, basically since then people did consider it biologically determined even though he never actually said how the biology worked <laughs> um so even earlier in 1908 buller which I assume is an assumed name used by Guilford, um, <laughs> suggested that it was in fact used, determined by personality, which I guess lies somewhere between the biological and the social. I like to think that Buller is in fact a small hand puppet bull. <laughs> <laughs> What's that, Buller? You have a contrary argument? That's ridiculous. <laughs> is, is that a Wookiee noise? No, of course it's biologically determined. <laughs> I watched Four Lions uh, yesterday morning, this morning, um, Mm -hmm. and there is a scene in which um, two police snipers are trying to stop the uh, bombers, um, and the snipers are played by Darren Boyd and uh, Kevin Eldon, which is brilliant in and of itself. But uh, (laughs) yes, they, um, spoiler warning, they they are um, trying to shoot them amidst a marathon. Uh. people dressed up like, target the target is a bear the target is the bear and kevin eldon shoots a wookie it's <laughs> like that's not a bear that's a wookie and kevin eldon's like a wookie is a bear it's like no a wookie's a wookie <laughs> that's brilliant isn't um isn't four lions what happens to uh, uh scar at the end of the lion king i think that's what that deserves <laughs> <laughs> I've become the John Oliver of this show. (laughs) (laughs) Why you switch back and forth? Yeah, we really do. Anyway, up until Lind 1993, attempts to establish more methodically the uh, cause of... uh, Non-involving hand puppets. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, They'd either led to contradictory results or conclusions or had a lot of weak controls. Uh, It's because it's really difficult to write papers when you've got a hand puppet on. I I wouldn't know. I haven't tried. So cows can't spell very well. Well, there's that. Um, 
And uh, yeah, which they even used like some of these studies used unstandardized color samples, which is ridiculous because they would cut a time cut. when Dunlux had come up with clear cut lists. So <laughs> oh, I see. Psychologist, and you're doing color psychology, and you can't even standardize your color things. Oh, that's fair enough. That's yeah. Anyway, so the only thing they'd really managed to establish up until Lind was that um, people expected that the colour of clothing people wore reflected their personality. But they hadn't managed to prove that it actually did, which you might think might be more important to try and find out. If, now, this is the thing, favourite colour has some evidence to link it to personality. And so what if you linked favourite colour with the colours you wore, and then you might be able to kind of come up with a way of showing that colour of clothing reflected personality. I mean, you could do that. You could just study whether colour of clothing and personality were linked, but Lint never... No, that would be too easy. It would be too easy. So yeah, Lint had three clear objectives. One, determine the subject's order of preference for abstract colour and clothing colour. Pretty easy. Ask them. Two, determine if a subject's most preferred colours were the same for abstract colour and clothing colour. Pretty easy. Ask them. Uh, and then three, determine whether a subject's stated preferences were confirmed through the colours he, she were wearing and the dominant colours in their wardrobe or the colour of a favourite garment. Three is, again, basically you have to ask them and trust them, but it is a good thing to include in there. So Lint gets credit for that because it proves that they don't just go, oh yes, I, I love black. Black's a darling colour to wear and then they never wear it. Um, ah. That was a little fey, wasn't it? Oh well. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we're talking about stereotyping here. You've gone back to the idea of, you know, sensitive, uh, self-obsessed men being the only people who like, you know, take an interest in clothing colours. I'm sensitive and self-obsessed and I don't care about clothes. It'd be much better to be like, oh, black, that's a darling colour, isn't it? But then never wear <laughs> See, I it. I think that's more of a class stereotype. <laughs> like, we left the door open earlier and it's it's still flooding in. Yeah, I suppose that's what happens. Um mm. Anyway, so yeah. Um, we need a Dutchman to like put his finger in the hole and plug it. Yeah, the hole in what now? Exactly. A <laughs> um, diplomacy dyke. <laughs> anyway, Thank you, Tim Minchin. Carry on. Uh, Lint also gets credit because uh, she did two samples. One students and one not students. Not what? Dun, dun, dun. You can't study not students. Then it's not psychology if you're not studying students. Well, yeah. And also, I mean, if you were to do this in Oxford, you'd really have to take into account the set of colours available at Jack Wills. So she managed to get around <laughs> that problem, too. Now, I mean, it would force you to go into Jack Wills, which would be... I mean, that's that's a sacrifice too far in the name of science. It really is. Um, how did they persuade the university students to take part? Well, they offered them a free personality test. 1993, a simpler time, pre-widespread internet. Um, they gave them 10 colour samples, had them put them in order for abstract what preference. Scientologists do? Um, no, you have to pay for them. Oh, think, okay. Oh, do you get the free personality test and then you have to pay for the treatment? I don't know. I've not gone to... In, in South Park, you get the free personality test, but maybe... I'm not sure that that's necessary. Yeah. Is, yeah, yeah. is South Park a good source? Not admissible. Scientology. <laughs> I'd hope not. But yeah, they gave them 10 colour samples, had them put them in order for abstract preference, and then following that for an article of clothing, such as a sweater. Um, and what they found was that purple blue was ranked first for both abstract and clothing usage. This is with students, with blue second, and then red and red purple as either third or fourth. And in both lists, yellow red and green yellow occupied the final two places. You know, yellow red, that famous colour, which hasn't been called yellow red since like old English, because then they invented the word orange. 
Also, Lind points out that this colour system that she's used, the Munzil colour system, may well be standardised, but purple-blue is apparently what an average American would call blue. (laughs) So, you know, some problems with that. Furthermore, purple-blue, blue and red... Uh, are all more strongly favoured for clothing than as an abstract colour, even though they still remain at the top of the list in the abstract colour one. Uh, blue, green and green are more preferred for clothing, whereas red, purple falls in preference uh, for clothing. Um, the smaller shift for green and yellow, which is not well liked for either use. So that's kind of objective one. The ranks are similar, but they're not quite the same. Um, primarily for colours like yellow, which is quite well liked as an abstract colour, but not well liked as a clothing colour. Which is not surprising, I suppose. Mm. Uh, so, is is the conclusion therefore to this study basically to in answer to the question of does your favourite colour determine what colour of clothes you wear? The answer is a bit. Well, sort of. But if you actually look at the individual, so overall, if you take a group of people and ask them what their favourite colour is and what favourite colour they like to wear is, that will probably mm. match. But individually, mm. 50% of people don't choose the same for the abstract and the clothing favourite. And only, uh, although, and yeah, two thirds did not have their top two abstract colours as their number one clothing choice. Having mm. said that, only a third didn't have their abstract favourite in their top two for clothing. You getting all that? Hang on, abstract favourite in the top two for clothing. That, uh, yeah, that that makes perfect sense because you, most people only have a favourite colour. Yeah. But most people also wear more than one colour clothing. That's true. Even unless they've got the same set of ten colours and they're having to list them in preference order. Yeah, unless they're Neil Gaiman or um, a, like a goth. Yeah. Well, and on top of this. There were no gender differences in favourite colours, but there were gender differences in least favourites. Women tend to hate the same colour, but men vary in the one they hate most. What do women hate? Um, I I think in general it's green-yellow. You know, yellowy-green, whatever, that kind of... And you can understand that. It's not necessarily a very pleasant colour. I can't understand why only women. (laughs) Whereas I think men are more likely to put maybe pink further down to the least likely that they're likely to wear, but then we in general say pink's okay. Or vice versa. I don't know. It's not made clear in the paper. Um, Mm. On to objective three. Actually, they found that there were significant associations between the colour of a favourite garment and the favourite clothing colour, the dominant wardrobe colour, and what they were wearing when they were asked. But having said this, the researchers suggest the levels of significance for this, which were very, well, high, low, whatever you want to call it. They were good. It was immensely significant. Um, They... uh, said that these were suspicious on account of the chi-squared test having looked Mm. at the data which to me is looking more closely at the data than any scientist ever does (laughs) if i get a significance (laughs) level of 0.0001 supporting my hypothesis and opening up future research that i can pioneer i do not question the chi-squared test and i do not commit my suspicions to published research good on them good on them um, and the you know, sample size is 121, which is not bad. I was just looking at that. Right. Um, I mean... Yeah, it's decent. But it's to do with like low expected values, but then I forgot enough mm-hmm. about the chi-squared test. I think it means that it was really likely to be significant no matter what they came up with. But maybe they should have tried a different test or something. Yeah, I suppose part, maybe the, the weirdness with the gender stuff, they have a female, like two-thirds female, one-third male sample. Yeah. That does when you start splitting out like that does reduce yeah, power but the chi-squared so. stuff was looking at the 
mm. relationship between kind of clothing color and clothing and color preference. Um, mm. Anyway, uh, for the non-student sample, they set up in the entrance of a mall and asked people to assist and had a sign saying color and personality. And again, a good number of people volunteered. When was this and where was this? Recruiting is difficult, isn't it? <laughs> um, but yeah, once again, blue, purple, blue and red predominated. Green, yellow was the lowest. Um, in objective to even more inconsistency between clothing color and favorite color was found in individuals who weren't students. Hmm. But the gender pattern was the same and the clothes that they had actually, you know, actually wore or at, were actually wearing was, again, significantly similar. And again, it had suspicious chi-squared. Um, but they did do some statistics to show that groups were numerically the same, even if there was some variety in the least preferred colours, um, apart from green-yellow, which everyone hates. Poor green-yellow. Um, so, I don't uh, hate green-yellow, do you? I don't really have that many strong feelings. I mean, I think I quite like green in general. I wear green. Yeah. But, you know, I don't know. I don't really think favourite colour is anything meaningful. But mm. And this is what they're trying to show. Anyway, so... Um, and then you come to the explanation section. Why are these things the case? Well, intriguingly, and I use the term somewhat loosely, the <laughs> list of preferences of colours is apparently similar to the eye's sensitivity to light. The colours that we're most sensitive to are those we like the least. Um, and then Lint adds some social explanations. Um, by social explanations, I mean she points out that uh, yeah, since yellow-green was slightly more liked by the non-students, this is probably because avocado was fashionable in their youth. Right. And her future predictions are that olive is being used in the 90s and this will probably impact people's favourite colours in the future. Olive is a pretty objectionable colour. And uh, explaining the popularity of blue, it's because everyone wears jeans and that's it. That's the psychological reason. <laughs> We've got all this strict methodology, great sampling, uh, pretty good technique. There's a standardised colour sample and then her explanations are just like, well, jeans and avocado and stuff. And that's jeans it. Thing. Um, also, this study did do a personality test on its participants and then didn't publish any of the details of it, <laughs> despite the stated aim being to learn more about colour and personality. <laughs> so, Lint, mm. lots of promise, in the end, kind of fell down. Delicious chocolate. That's true. Um, cool. That's well, all that's I have good. to say. Well, I've got one more little thing. Um, go for it once again sending a spinning further off into the void of not going to be in the final podcast space time continuum uh, oh, wow. this is not really a study it's more of a general thing about um, when I, doing the research for this came across uh, a lot of studies which fall under the category of clothing science which it turns out right. is a boring and frightening place to be um, <laughs> because uh, as far as I can tell, clothing science basically means plotting a huge number of graphs and equations dealing with the minuti, minuti, minutiae, minutiae. How do you pronounce that word? I okay. The minutiae of uh, the physical properties of clothing. So it's like a cross between physics and fashion, um, which sounds pretty horrific on paper. Um, what's sad about it is that the titles of many of these papers are really quite promising, but then they always seem to stack the landing when you actually get to reading them. Uh, yeah. I present two examples for your delectation. Uh, the first, uh, and my favorite, is by uh, R.G. Stedman, and the promising title is thus. The Assessment of Sultriness, Part 1. A Temperature Humidity Index Based on Human Physiology and Clothing Science. 
this is brilliant. That sounds great. That that sounds like they've got like variously attractive ladies to wear clothing with different figure hu- hugging properties, and then like measuring perceived versus actual humidity of the room, or like like <laughs> performing spectrographic analysis of hip hop artist Nelly's seminal 2002 hit "Hot in Here" to determine exactly what temperature one is likely to feel so hot one wants to take one's clothes off. That sounds great. I'm guessing quite quite high. high I would think. Um, or maybe they're just like titrating photos of Angelina Jolie to, dist- to distill pure chemical sultriness that they can then release as a vitamin supplement or something along those lines. Uh, unfortunately, it's. Oh, <laughs> I was watching an interview with her. She's gorgeous. Um, but I. She's not human <laughs> and therefore cannot be gorgeous <laughs> in the same way that animals are also not gorgeous. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Tim, you roleplay as female aliens in Star Wars computer games, do you not? That's correct. <laughs> do I do it because they're attractive? No. This is a debate for another day. Anyway, my point being... <laughs> this is a debate for a non broadcast meeting. Non-legally admissible thing. Uh, anyway, yes. Um, it's ruined, sadly, by... This, this awesome title is ruined by the content of the paper, which... Uh, is so dry it produces a relative temperature of three to five degrees less than dry bulb temperature equivalent oh yeah humidity science burn <laughs> zing uh well yeah i guess anything to do with heat it's is gonna lead really to boring though burning. they just use sultriness as a term for like countries where it's a bit sticky um and then they plot these on a graph and it's just like yeah the countries where it's a bit sticky i don't know which countries that's referring to but i bet we can find an example of one that is definitely not sultry. okay let's have a look the assessment of sultriness part one now that i'm didn't read any of the paper because it's just constant graphs and equations with titles like surface temperatures and vapor pressures of skin and clothing uh and affect things like effective wind speed ventilation rate skin resistance to heat transfer clothing resistance to heat transfer moisture transfer surface convection um and they're like testing their model and then applying it let's have a look uh and oh unfortunately they only seem to plot it for the united states uh okay do 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 and it's even it's just have, you know it doesn't I've have any like looked. the sultriest country in the united states <laughs> no, nothing like that it's just boring well it does say that uh, you know, the if I type in define sultry, either hot and humid or of a person, Esper woman, attractive in a way that suggests a passionate nature. And clearly you've just fallen foul of synonyms, <laughs> i.e. synonyms that you've never heard used in the original definition. Exactly. I was, up until reading this paper, blissfully unaware that sultry had a boring meaning. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, a paper <laughs> which does exactly what it says on the tin is the other one, which I'm not as happy about, but I feel needs to be pointed out. And also is a neat parable of why you should never, ever sign up for studies run by the US military. It is called (laughs) Predicting Rectal Temperature Response to Work, Environment and Clothing and brings a whole new meaning to the term rosy cheeks. Yep, there we go. That's, That's all I wanted to say about that. It's also full of graphs and tables, but, you know, with the constant nagging sense that all of it was determined by shoving thermometers up people and therefore is an unpleasant and uncomfortable read. 
Yes, I'm sure. Uh, so yeah, clothing science, guys. Anyone, uh, anyone who now feels motivated that to take that on as their career in life, I am deeply sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that is very interesting. Um, and there's been lots of follow-ups. I'm going to talk about just one of them briefly, uh, which is basically an excuse for me to uh, rant. Well, no. <laughs> Horans and Todorova, fun names to say, um, which they did a study which was overseen by Nutin, and indeed Horans is Belgian, so I assume that she was basically directly supervised by him. But, uh, you know, I'm sure this paper is not going to be biased at all about the name letter effect. Now, Horans and Todorova noted that, barring that single example in the Greek alphabet that uh, was mentioned by Ben, um, the name letter effect had only been tested in the Roman alphabet because even the Scandinavian languages are basically the Roman alphabet. Um, and also, by that point, they weren't really quite sure how it worked, it seemed. And one potential explanation that had clearly been thrown back at Nutton in the literature was that um, initials and other name letters were the first words and letters that children are taught, uh, mm. for whatever reason, actually. It's quite egotistical when you think about it. Uh, or else consumerist, you know, it's dated to that world when it was all, you know, contract signing and checks and we should teach yeah. our children to write their names quickly. Uh, I, did, uh, I did like one thing that Nutton's mentioned in his discussion, which was that from birth, we are conditioned to respond to the idea of our name as denoting ourself. You know, yeah. if someone says your name, you're conditioned to react. Uh, and so it's, it's constantly kind of binding your name to your self-image. Yeah. Well, I'm constantly doing that. Every time I open this podcast, I have to reinforce who yeah, I am. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah. And so the positive associations come from the pride of mastering those particular aspects, uh, much as I'll always be inclined towards destruction, it being the first thing I mastered in Skyrim. Uh, the original <laughs> version of that joke was going to be one-handed. You have been playing a lot of Skyrim lately. <laughs> and yeah, one-handed, probably, yeah, more... <laughs> More open to innuendo. Uh, yeah, well, let's just say I saw a master. thing on Tumblr that basically made that joke earlier in the week and wanted to shy away from it. Of course, it's a lie. I haven't mastered anything in Skyrim yet. I've been playing it, but I haven't mastered anything yet. Anyway, Todorova, being Bulgarian, who used the Cyrillic alphabet, thought there was a way to disprove it and link it instead to being an element of self-concept, which seems to be what Nutin favours. Mm. That it is kind of, yeah, associated with the self, not just because of some developmental conditioning, but because of kind of that intrinsic association and that's constantly reinforced. Um, I'm not sure those two are entirely mutually exclusive, but then I suppose you don't get published if you like. Well, it's probably both. Yeah. I mean, I guess the point about the whole like primacy of mastering thing was that it's just that's about... True oh, I succeeded at this and that's why I like it, rather than this is something that relates back to me and that's why I like it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, as I mentioned already, I'm sure that it's uh, perfectly fine to just do a study that's trying to prove your supervisor's point. Um, I really should have cited some of my supervisor's work in my research project. I've got a better grade. Um, no. So what, the, um, what Todd Rover tried was to see if Bulgarians had a name letter effect in the Roman alphabet, uh, even though they got all their primacy in the Cyrillic alphabet. Mm. And so once again, it's the same procedure as Nutin. Pick the most preferred letters in both alphabets and then write their name in both alphabets. And that gets around what was going to be my objection, that they don't map one-to-one. -one. Now, I don't really know Cyrillic, but if you were Greek 
and your name began with a phi, then in a ro the Roman alphabet, that's a P you're going to be favouring, even though, really, P maps onto pi most directly. It's like, yeah, if your name was, for example, Phineas Gage. Yes, I suppose so. And he was Greek for some reason. Weird parallel universe reason. That's, that, I mean, that's a whole weird one as well. Like, would he get... Uh, anyway, it's like preference for P over F. Then. But anyway, carry on. Sorry. Uh, yeah. I'm sure someone's looked at it. Yes. Um, In fact, I'm fairly certain nothing looked at it. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, results-wise, the name letters were preferred in both languages for full name, first name, and initials, but they were stronger in the Cyrillic alphabet, significantly stronger. Um, also, they found a correlation between the choices in the two alphabets, despite there only being some overlap of letters, some that look the same but don't sound the same, and some that aren't the same at all, and then there's some that are analogous, but only about a third. Um, but I'm not quite sure what they were correlating. They don't really give you the figures quite clearly enough they say oh there was a positive correlation between choices and it's like well what do you mean by choices right. um, it's something to do with the number of name letters chosen in each language okay but i wasn't quite sure what that really tells us um except that the effect is working in both languages but it, that's already been shown just kind of individually anyway yeah. so what did they actually demonstrate um firstly that the name letter effect does occur in the cyrillic alphabet um which is not really as surprising as finding it working in you know say a, a far eastern alphabet because yeah, cyrillic is essentially analogous in its use to yeah. roman alphabet and it's already been shown to work in the greek alphabet which is very similar to cyrillic um yeah. but they argue that the effect being found in the roman alphabet in these participants who learnt you know english or spanish or german as a second language some way into their life rather than when they were learning to write um is not just a matter of primacy right um which is a nice you know clear conclusion for them to make it's completely kind of fudged there at the end um <laughs> you know and it raises a number of questions that they don't answer at all what what do you learn first in a second language you know yeah. do you not learn your name in that language perhaps is that not going to have an impact and yeah is it an, just an association that you kind of associate back with that original primacy if primacy is the reason that you like those letters then just linking back to name letters is probably going to work just because of the association back rather than that self-concept thing. Potentially, they haven't ruled it out. They haven't done anything to um, rule it out. Um, and their discussion is really brief. Um, and But one of the things they suggest is that people don't often write their name in the second language. So That is you, true, I guess. Yeah, You don't get mu as much association of any sort with the name letters. Um, <laughs> and they also suggest that primacy of name writing might have had an impact but it's not the principal determinant but they haven't shown that they just say that um so what i'd want to see is this study kind of repeated but with a looking into what is done first well. in a new language yeah and also <laughs> just put in some self-concept or self-esteem measures or like for example an iat thing which elsewhere yeah. has been done for the name letter effect looking mm. at the liking for letters to see if it is this implicit liking going on with the letters in the other language so yes if, if you're if you're playing journal editor at the very least uh revise and resubmit with uh mentioning these things in the discussion at least yes um so yes the bulgarian and the belgian the bgs of the nations have not done so well um but well, i think you might well, have some well, better belgian things with the uh, name letter effect ben well kind of name letter kind of some of them are name letters Well, 
wasn't that interesting. I thought that third one was really good. <laughs> that was the one you did, Ben. It was that that psychology. There was that. I mean, the psychology in it. It was really interesting psychology. I particularly liked the bit about psychology. Um, I thought the funny parts were really funny. Like there were some really funny, funny things in there. Um, there were some slightly less funny things, but you know, sometimes funny things aren't aren't as funny. But they were interesting when they weren't funny, which was interesting. I just really only have one thing to say to that, and that's hello to Jason Isaacs. Ah, and also, obviously, congratulations to uh, Dave Mitchell and Victoria uh, Mid- Corrin? Victoria Mitchell. Has she taken his name? Well, I don't think they're actually married yet, so no. no but I wonder if they will. I think she'll stick with her name because her name that. has got like comedy cachet. You know, her dad and her brother and stuff. True, her dad. True, and I mean, she. Yeah, I wonder if it's like. I wonder if it's like publication, like if you change, if you get married whilst already having a pre-existing publication career, it's ill-advisable to uh, adopt, to change your name because you won't get uh, citation numbers that will be thrown off. Maybe, I don't know if that works with like being well, a celeb. One of uh, my professors had been published under about three different names on account of her marital adventures. <laughs> That makes it sound much more fun than I suspect it was. <laughs> well, marital adventures somewhat implies extramarital adventures, which, I don't know, not so good. Anyway, the point that uh, I, I was going to go for was, um, I was also going to ask, what's the album of the week, Ben? <laughs> uh, what is the album of the week? The album of the week, I can tell you, uh, well, I can't tell you because I can't remember the name of the album, but it's whatever the album is, what has Hey Soul Sister it's the album Hey Soul Sister by uh, Train, uh, because I've been had that song stuck in my head non-stop uh, and enjoying it greatly. OK, uh, m- mine is Nick Lowe, The Jesus of Cool, um, <laughs> but it's a joint with the 8-bit versions of OK Computer and Kid A that were released today. <laughs> he would hate that. <laughs> I'm almost certain. <laughs> the he that kind of towers over all duo podcasts <laughs> yes exactly so uh, uh, there we go that you know that was much easier to record and like prepare for i not prepare for than the normal ones yeah we maybe probably could have kept going a while maybe we should sure. have stopped doing this conceit about psychology anyway i've got to go yeah. to go go to radio two now <laughs> <laughs> Tim's one in the afternoon. I don't know what the jingle is for. That. Tim and Ben in the morning. Oh yeah, <laughs> community man, community. Crazy, crazy goings on. They renewed the it, and everyone cheered, and then they fired the guy who made it good. Uh, well, well, it's it's very sad. Did you read his thingy on that? I certainly did. Of course, maybe we should you put did. that in the You're show notes. You're on the internet too. Uh, yeah, maybe. I, I'm not quite sure what. How that would help I think the best the best comment is the one that I retweeted earlier in the week. And by my calculations, this means that Dan Harmon will be directing the Justice League movie in eight years' time. <laughs> that's not bad. That's that's yeah, no, that's promising. I, I'd watch it, especially if there is like you know uh, Christopher Nolan's done is just like getting all the people he likes in his movies. <laughs> and and Joss. So yeah, that 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 could be good. That could be good. Anyway, uh, I guess we should say goodbye to our listeners. The word to tweet us if you get this far. <laughs> that's oh, that's so awful because they do like a three-hour podcast and it's genuinely impressive that even they have made it to the end. <laughs> We've just done like less than 40 minutes of talking talking rubbish. Uh, 
with no preparation. But then I uh, actually, I suppose, yeah, that we had at least in a generated content. Yeah, that is true. He has to see content. movies. Yeah. I wish this was our job, Ben. It would be so much cooler. This is why. This is why we shouldn't. We should have done like a gaming and TV podcast. Then we could just justify spending all week playing computer games and watching TV as research. Yeah, but where does the money come from? <laughs> uh, probably, sadly, more of it in that than there is in psychology. But anyway, never yeah, mind. I suppose mind. so. We'll just have to carry on playing games and watching computer and watching TV stuff. Just anyway. <laughs> yes. What a downer to end the, to end this cobbled together podcast together on. Go and look at the TV tropes page. That'll give you some fun. If you want to edit it, then do because you, you probably didn't even know mentioned th- that you made a TV tropes page. I did. Did you? I did. Man, yeah. I wasn't listening. <laughs> it's half the length of a real, real episode, and you can't even listen to me for that. I'm storming off. I'm slamming down my microphone. Goodbye. <laughs>